Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome to Punching Out. You're here with Emily, Chris, and Ariel. Hey, what's up? Uh, we are diving into the large topic of sexual harassment in the workplace. It's kind of something that's been on a lot of people's minds lately with uh, recent events in the news. Um, so we, I guess... Yeah, lucky us that yeah. it's uh, been. <laughs> we we planned on doing this uh, during like a last episode we were featured on. It's a little over a month, like I think right at the beginning of October, and I think right then is when all of this started coming out. I mean, not that it's ever a surprise that this came out. It's not right. like whoa, Hollywood, the sexual harassment, like, but it was uh, something that it became a lot easier to talk about in detail. And I think it's been on so many people's minds. And I think what we want to do naturally is talk about how capitalism kind of like exacerbates this problem yeah the timing's worked out really nicely because usually in uh situations where powerful people are have an open secret of behaving badly it remains that way it remains a secret however open uh but like you know and now we're, pandora's we're, box has been opened we've it. got women speaking up telling their stories we've got men speaking up and telling their stories yeah. we've heard you know some things about kevin spacey this past week mm. um so I'm personally a little stoked about this. I know it's not a great subject matter. It's not something that, you know, it's party time, you know, yeah. sexual harassment. But <laughs> Make some sexual uh, harassment jokes, everybody. Yeah. I am excited about the fact that this conversation has begun. And um, I kind of think we've hit a little bit of a turning point on this. We've got powerful people speaking up against powerful people. And I think in some ways that being in the mainstream media is um, allowing people like us to have these types of conversations and talk to our friends about their experiences and me being the resident cisgender female in the room. Um, <laughs> I have my it's own weird for us. <laughs> yeah, it's like... uh, stories that we could touch on. We've got... We have an interview coming up. I have an interview uh, coming friend. up for you guys. Um, so, so yeah, so so here we are. Um, we actually get to look into um, some pretty gross examples of uh, sexual harassment and sexual misconduct among powerful people. And uh, what's interesting about it is that it doesn't look all that different from anything that we've probably experienced as normal people. But now, since uh, the leaders of the culture industry are the, are the people who are the center of these stories, that's what makes it sort of interesting to talk about for people or, or kind of like reifies it, makes it real uh, for everybody else. Because everybody knew sexual harassment was a problem, right? I don't think that was, a mis that was something that was uh, too hidden. Uh, but now people that we see on TV are talking about it openly as if it's a serious thing, because it is. And I think, I think some of the, the danger in kind of like singling out just like Hollywood and stuff is it's not always 
as like egregious as like this weird slug Harvey Weinstein kind of like <laughs> telling people, you know, telling young aspiring actresses to give them, you know, oral sex or whatever the allegations are, which are, you know, much, much wider array of things than just that, mm. uh, just for a role for, you know, a guy who has his hands on all of the major projects in Hollywood, it seems like. It's, a lot of it is stuff that, you know, when we were discussing this episode, we were kind of like, okay, as, as guys, as, as me and Ariel, you know, how can we even begin to approach this? It's something we can't really fathom. You can't. Right, exactly. Uh, you're not allowed. <laughs> but, what I, but what I can say is the times where, you know, you, you've seen it and times where... Participated uh, in it? Maybe, yep. or, ti- or been encouraged to participate in it. Like, yep. one of the things I've always been baffled by personally is um, when, let's say, like, you're with... And a lot of times it's even older women who will encourage you to do this. Mm-hmm. When you're, you're like... Maybe uh, checking out something, you're, you're buying something, or, you know, like I used to work at a movie theater, for example. Like anytime there's like a, a, a woman at a cash register or, or a girl, a lot of these are teenagers, and they're around the same age, you're like, oh, she's attractive. And they'll like, oh, like, see if you can get her number. And I'm always like, you know, at first, I think when I was younger, a lot of the reason I'd never do that is just like being like, you know, scared. Yeah. You know, like it's hard to do that and it's confidence. But also, it was always like, why. Why am I so this person's forced to interact with me? Like, right. that's the baseline, right? Right, and it's not worth it. Like, there's plenty of attractive people out there, you know. Like, I'm not going to uh do that to this person who's forced to interact with me, even if it works, because right. it does sometimes. Yeah. You're protected in this weird way, right? Because this person's job is to make it so that you're not angry with them, yep. Um, so like, uh, you, if you weren't like a decent, cool person, like, you could actually make a problem for her. Uh, I'm definitely if she's decent. Up, yeah. If she's upset, <laughs> if, if if she's upset about this interaction, like you could make a problem for her because she's at work. Like you're at liberty. Yeah. Uh, What's the worst that can happen to me? Like that's always what I always get told to. And the yeah. weird thing is, like I mentioned, like oh, like when I'm with an older woman, like a lot of times it's like they they've been like trained to think mm-hmm. that that's normal, right? Like right. I don't know if it's because they're older or because you know that's just what they've become so used to. But like that that is like the common demographic that has been so vocal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Whenever I've been encouraged to do that, like this has happened a decent amount of times, I and that is who like are these like uh, older family members, uh, people like- sometimes, um, some, like maybe coworkers, like mm-hmm. you know, like when I worked in media, a lot of times you're like you know, you, you go out and about with like a reporter, and right. if it's someone who's older, more established, and you know, she would just be like, oh, get her number, and I'm like, I'm like, it doesn't work like that. I'm like, <laughs> like maybe it does, but like that's just weird, right? It's like, oh, whatever, you know what happens. Sometimes it works. Yeah, And I'm just like, you know, that just seems so kind of weird and internalized to me. And I mentioned that because, not because that's like the crux of what we're going to talk about, but that's like when I've always first started to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only way really it's been so apparent to me, uh, like this whole dynamic. Yeah, And I think, you know, you mentioned like you don't suffer any real consequences. And I think that's because a lot, and we want to talk about this through like a capitalist lens as well. Like people are always if you're under a fear of losing your job it's what because of survival right and capitalism thrives on kind of repressing a large set a large minority or even in women's case a majority mm-hmm. a slight majority mm-hmm. and so much of capitalism is anti-feminist anti-women and it gets by on populating these kind of service sector jobs with women right. with minorities and making it so that they are always under some kind of pressure from everything around them, whether it's sexual or economic. There's times where also when it's a coworker, right? If you're not, not hating on a coworker, but right, sometimes people get attracted to coworkers, people in relationships with coworkers yeah. or, or whatever. 
and and let's say you're trying to like you know let's say oh you're into this you're trying to like get something started you know like hey want to hang out kind of thing mm. and it's hard to kind of do that where and and not make it weird to be like some people are like oh I don't date coworkers I don't do anything with coworkers and something like that's for a good reason a lot of times because it kind of kind of screws up like the whole dynamic of that of mm-hmm. like you know, we're supposed to be equals but instead it creates it kind of transplants like the kind of sexual dynamic which in this society is what is kind of male dominated and then all of a sudden it's ever more present in the workplace because you're engaging in this kind of behavior it brings to mind for me the idea of like a lot of people meet their spouses at work and maybe most yeah so and in our society, work is such a huge, huge chunk of our lives. I mean, I'm there 40 hours every week, and the people that I see are the same people every day. And, you know, things happen at work. Sometimes relationships happen, flings happen, and it might set things off in a weird way. Maybe it changes the balance of the workplace, but... um what are you supposed to do? I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. spending all your time there and yeah. you know, maybe you don't go out on the weekends or your coworkers are the primary people that you consider your friends right. or your peers. So, you know? so it'd be nice. It'd be nice if you're spending like a third of your day in a place that wasn't uh, like this coercive hierarchical <laughs> organization. Like, right. It'd be, it'd be nice if we could reform work in such a ways to uh, make it just merely a place where human beings go and do things together uh, and, and are not like uh and are not wrapped up in this incredibly sort of pathological dynamic uh, that most of us represent, uh, most of us think of our, our jobs as being. Um, so, work work is always going to exacerbate like uh, inter- interpersonal uh, struggles that we have, and especially with something as sensitive as as like dating or marriage or or, or sex or just experiencing right. your own gender. Um, so we have a we have an interview coming up with uh, with uh, Gwen, and um, she's going to talk a little bit about uh, being a nurse and encountering um, sexual harassment um, and a sense of uh, sort of pernicious sexual danger from her client. Um, It's a pretty interesting interview, and uh, I hope you guys like it. See you soon. This is Punching Out, a project of the Punching Out Collective, and we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker. You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, and we're on Twitter, at punchingoutwayo. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. So um, I'm Gwen. I currently work as a consultant and uh, for a not-for-profit. And I also am a nurse, although I don't work as a nurse. Um, I only worked as a nurse for like three years. Um, yeah. And, and during that time, I only had... Uh, kind of like coordination or management roles. I didn't ever kind of like work in a hospital setting. So any any of those stories I have are all from like when I was in nursing school. Okay. Anyway, um, so I was working um, on a project where I was uh, helping or trying to help keep people who were pretty chronically and often acutely ill out of the hospital. Um, due to preventable things, right? So if you have like COPD, um, you could go to the hospital frequently or or, um, congestive heart failure. Uh, These are folks who might end up going to the hospital frequently 
but if they have enough support in place and know enough about their disease process and how to um, take care of things in certain ways, uh, they could hopefully stay out, right? So I was working with um, patients who were uh, at risk of being readmitted, which is a costly endeavor in the healthcare field. So I was working with this gentleman and uh, he just, he was in a situation where he just really needed um, help. I knew he had gotten discharged from the hospital. I had not actually uh, seen this person in person, um, but I had I'd read his case. I'd been following up on his notes and things while he was in the hospital. And I knew when he got out, like he was A, gonna be a high risk, but B, was probably really gonna need help. So things had um, progressed in such a way that he just was gonna need some supports. And I knew his mobility had gotten really low. Um, and he was in a living situation where he was gonna have to go up and down flights of stairs to be able to get help. And I didn't, I just had very low trust that he was gonna be okay. And so, um, I'd also read that he'd had some communication struggles with females <laughs> in that uh, he said some pretty sexist things frequently, pretty misogynistic sort of things, right? So um, kind of sounding like veiled threats sometimes or just, uh, yeah, I, it's hard to think of what to say other than like just gross comments, right? So um, I, w I knew that going into it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, whatever, give him a call. So I called him. I kept trying to call and interact with him and find a way to get him help. And the, the sad part of this situation is that um, I never actually succeeded in, in getting him help because of the degree of it was like there's a, a sexist wall that was up that wouldn't allow him to like accept help for me without there being an exchange of like an intense amount of harassment in such a way that I couldn't help him without also feeling unsafe, right? So I would call him and he would just have like, you know, basically these threats that were not, he was not intending them to sound like threats. He was intending them to sound like he would like to have sex with me if I came over to his place to check things out, right? That like me entering his abode to see if he was okay equaled invitation for him to have sex with me somehow, right? Like, and I just couldn't get him to like agree to talk to me in a less rapey way. Like it just didn't matter. Like everything was gonna be, was gonna be framed in that manner and um, you know, we had sort of like, we'd have these meetings where kind of like case reviews and we'd go through things and I'd be like, I'm really worried about this individual and here's how my conversations with him are going. And one of the doctors in the practice was just like, no, 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 <laughs> Because she was an older female doctor and I think really she had been tolerating some of this stuff for far too long that she just felt like we can't accept this and like have it be okay. Um, yeah, so there wasn't really a resolution to that situation that I liked. I think ultimately um, someone else was able to just sign him up for some services without um, the eyes on kind of assessment that you normally need to do. Um, but eventually I left that job before I actually learned what, what happened with him. The, the power and privilege dynamics and the intensity of patriarchy is so harmful to everyone, right? Like. It's really gross that I had to listen to his gross comments, and it's really awfully gross that he couldn't get help because of the degree of indignity he felt 
at, at needing help, right? That it was so against what he thought was okay to be as a man, to have that amount of vulnerability. Yeah. It's really depressing, <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it's really sad. And I don't actually, I mean, I, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable saying he's more harmed by that situation than I was. My sister is a nurse as well. Um, and I just, I know that that relationship of working with someone who's ill, you know, you're supposed to be demonstrating that you care for them and that you're trying to help them get better. And for Gwen in the situation where she was afraid to go to this guy's home because she didn't know what might happen to her. Um, it puts you in a really tough spot because she's obviously a caring person. She's a nurse. She wants to make sure that this guy is okay, that he can function at home outside of the hospital. Um, but she has to be afraid that he's going to do something to her. Right. Cause I got a lot of it when people talk about like workplace harassment, it's coworkers, it's customers, but it's still like at work. Mm. And someone like this is going like into this guy's world, you know, into his home, where, you know, he, he kind of knows, you know, what's going on, even whether he's sick or not. I mean, the fact is, like, that just adds an extra element right. of danger. So there's a whole bunch of different vulnerabilities there because she is vulnerable if this guy has bad intentions or if he, you know, makes a move at her or says something awful to her. Um, but he's vulnerable because he's ill and he kind of relies on her help. And we kind of discussed before the episode um, the way that it kind of is screwing himself over. Like he's not getting proper care at this point because he's set in this mindset of needing to express his power over women. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of those dynamics, they tend to, they only empower like patriarchy. Like they only like ultimately they kind of elevate all men. Like they make it so that they are always never going to be as worse off as like a woman or a minority is. Um, but I think they really exist to further strengthen the power of like legitimately powerful men. Yeah. Whereas a guy like this is already vulnerable. He's yeah. sick. Um, or, or guys who are poor or working class, they kind of use this as a way to kind of distract themselves from their own plight. Yeah. Like Har to, Harvey Weinstein is not going to lack for healthcare. Yeah. Uh, on the basis of him being just like a monster. Uh, or influence. He's not going to lack for yeah. influence either. Yeah. And, and this, this guy just being like, you know, a poor retiree, it sounds like, um, he is going to be materially harmed by his own, uh, his own, like just terrible treatment of women, uh, in a way that like a power, an actually powerful man wouldn't. Um, so I think there's an interesting class break breakdown in this where the, the consequences for someone, um, who's enforcing the patriarchy, uh, are going to be different depending on how powerful you are. Um, and you know, some people get to be president. Yeah, and some, that's right. Some people get to sit at home and be sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Weinstein thing is interesting because it's an example of a powerful person actually getting some comeuppance. Like, that's why I think people are, that's one of the many reasons I think people are so interested in this is because it's like an actually power, powerful person is uh, seeing some, some real consequences for their, their behavior. Or Bill Cosby. I mean, yeah. I think, I mean, he hasn't, ultimately hasn't gone to prison, but that's, yeah. I mean, it was and even before this. That's someone he was actually raping. Yeah. Who yeah. knows how Just many women. Just dozens do. and dozens and yeah. dozens. Probably right? the, Bill Cosby turned out to be like the 
worst serial rapist in like the history of America, maybe for all we <laughs> yeah. know, right. which is a really dark timeline we're in. At least in Hollywood or <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. that we know of. And so he was another powerful guy. A lot of women were, and that was even that was an open secret for like a decade. Yeah, like people, people in joked about it. Yep. Harvey Weinstein. People talked about it too, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I saw which is cl- why I think this is interesting. This, yeah, this topic is it's opening a book. We you can know, see, we can see all the gross stuff. Yeah, you can yeah. only hope it trickles down to people, you know, like Gwen, yeah. who are just normal people working and, you know, probably won't. I'm kind of pessimistic about it because sure. we've had these discussions before. But, yeah. you know, it, it's a chance to Come at least... At least what at least, kind of attitude is that? <laughs> well, because, right? It's Chris. Because ultimately, like, it's it all ends up being very uh, kind of bourgeois activism and kind of they yeah. only focus on things that are not addressing, like, the core root of the problem that are facing everyday people. Yeah. But I think... Talking, especially in the healthcare industry and in other service sector where people are more vulnerable than anywhere else, um, I think that's the best place to start and why it's, it's so important to get Gwen's perspective on it. One of the hardest things uh, for kind of left politics in America is getting past the awareness phase. Like we always get yeah, stuck in this weird loop. Yeah, I think that's happening right now yeah. for sure. It's yeah. like third wave feminism right now is, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that there was a huge focus on catcalling and mm. there were like, you know, the videos that would show up in your Facebook feed of women walking around getting sexually harassed and catcalled just yeah. walking down the street. Um, and now we've kind of moved into this area, especially for us here talking about work. Um, and I think it's, yeah, like what you said, awareness. We're, so we're, yeah, we're, sti- we're still kind of at the, I mean, there's, you know, charges being filed and stuff like that. But even like charges being filed, that's not like, that's not a systemic change. Like that's not something that restructures the workplace in such a way as to, as to make, make real consequences for people who are, who are sexually harassing. Um, so yeah, we're, it's, we're still, we have, we have laws already and I'm, I'm glad that they maybe start to be used. Um, uh, but it's not like it's not going to solve the problem at its root about the power imbalances that are implicit in the workplace. And those same imbalances are what make people not even talk about it. Right. Uh, I mean, Gwen talks, says how she doesn't, in the later part of the interview, um, she says how she doesn't even like talk about this casually mm-hmm. with friends uh, or, or with guys. Let's get, why don't we go to that part of the interview? Sure. The support was there from that doctor, right? But like the message in that particular role was that we don't turn people away in this program. This was like a last ditch, you know, effort to kind of help people uh, who were really struggling to stay out of the hospital. So it was supposed to be that we that we don't turn them away. And in that instance, you know, if I'd been in a practice with um, all male doctors who weren't thinking about it the same way, didn't have the same experience with sexism and hadn't supported it in the same way and hadn't shut it down as hard. I don't actually know what would have happened, right? Yeah. Because I would have felt pretty pressured to figure out something to do. And maybe I would have gotten there. It would have been no big deal. He would have just kept saying dumb stuff to me and I would have done my, you know, eyes on assessment and looked at what he needed mm-hmm. and then I leave. Um, or maybe he was less incapacitated than I thought and I get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, like that, like like the, like the approaching a male doctor about this, like it's not... Oops, sorry. This is, this is not somebody who has had the experience of being followed around in the gym in a rabid way. Right. Right. Like right. that makes all the difference in, yes. like, in, in, in mounting like uh, an appropriate response to what is essentially a judgment call. Yeah, totally. More uh, female leaders or, um, yeah, <laughs> more diversity yeah. in yeah. the in the leadership in general, right? And not only that, but more 
space for storytelling for how things are because I think that you know the male doctors that were in that practice I think could easily understand if they had some more space for for understanding that right like I don't on the regular tell a lot of um, my male friends about sexist stories that are happening because it just isn't part of how we're habituated to talk to each other even if I feel totally comfortable doing it it's just not what's coming up and also like it's not most of unless it's really funny it's not super fun to like spend time thinking about how someone was really gross to you and like most of the time if you're processing that stuff it's with like one or two female friends and you're just like thinking out loud about it and like thinking okay what am I gonna do um and if we had a little bit more space for that it wouldn't be so shocking and sometimes unbelievable to dudes when they hear the things and they're just like I don't you know they literally sometimes can't believe that it happened because they just they're so far removed from it so this part actually struck me as kind of um like interesting in a way that's something that I hadn't quite thought about as interesting right so like it, it never really occurred to me to think about how how women end up processing these kinds of experiences at work like whether or not they feel uh like even in their social lives they can process this stuff uh, with any effectiveness. Um, I just assumed they could, right? I just assumed like they can talk to their friends about whatever they want because that's what you talk to your friends about. Um, But uh, Gwen is is talking very specifically about how there isn't even in your own social space uh, enough enough space to to deal with this stuff. Or workspace. Yeah, or, or workspace, right? Like I can't say that talking to my friends about sexual harassment really makes me feel feel much better right. i mean it might it makes you feel like you're not alone yeah which is important of course but um i guess in terms of processing it it doesn't solve the issue well here's a question like, have you have you ever found like the hr mechanism at your work to be at all helpful for this kind of thing no. is it yeah no, right? <laughs> what right. no <laughs> exactly but that, that's precisely what they're for I mean, when you're getting harassed by someone who's above you, yeah. who do you go to? Yeah, that's right. Um, the guys that I work with are, they're interesting characters, first of all. Let's just start there. It's very diplomatic. Um, <laughs> but, and they're good people, but there's there are conversations that happen where I work that shouldn't be happening at work. Mm-hmm. There's a particular coworker um who makes me feel uncomfortable on the daily. Um, There's been some weird experiences. He asks for feet pics, things like that. (laughs) No, but he does um, constantly talk about sex, constantly makes remarks to girls um, that are sexually charged. Um, Are your supervisors uh, more women, more men? Males. They're all males. They're all males. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't help. At least for my shift, where I where right. I am. Um, yeah, I, it sort of reminds me of an incident that happened at a hotel I was working at. Um, there were some golf pros that were staying, and one of them in particular was just like this really terrible, terrible person. Classy and, dudes, golf pros. Oh man, well known for their uh, social justice stance. Yeah, <laughs> and this guy, this guy got really, really mad about um, our, you know, our espresso. Um, so he he proceeded to berate his server. Uh, to tears and even ended up calling her a hard C. I, you know, I, I can't say what it, what that is, but I, mm. I hope I hope that you guys can all imagine what it is. It's, you know, it's a pretty terrible thing to say to a woman. Um, and just 
I mean, I like to own it, but yeah, <laughs> but it's <laughs> that's yeah, different. You can reclaim it. Fine, I am. That's me. <laughs> you can reclaim it if you want. Uh, she was not expecting this at work. Um, right. Yeah, that's awful. So she was, yeah, just totally destroyed. And there's a big kerfuffle about it. And um, I like I, I got everybody to sort of write a letter to HR um, about this whole instance because the only reaction immediately after that happened was to was to try to comfort this guy who was complaining about the service. Uh, and not uh, not at all address like this the blatant like verbal violence that was uh, perpetrated against my my coworker, um, and the next week was HR whose job it is, is to field these kinds of things. The, the HR's entire offensive was just to try to shut down um, the complaints about this stuff. That's all they did. Uh, so you can't really like corporate HR is not there for you. Like the only thing that would actually protect us in that situation is if we had solidarity. Which, you know, we did at first, but then people started getting picked off and stuff like that. There wasn't a, there there wasn't like a very robust, um, there was no union, uh, and there was there wasn't like a super robust sense of um, of togetherness on this, and that would have made all the difference in getting some actual consequences out of uh, out of the fight we were trying to make. Wow, that's like the main way to look at it. I think is that the reason this keeps happening mm-hmm. on such a large scale, and it's always going to be less than we think, because there's always going to be people who won't come out about it. It's just the, the powerlessness of workers to do things about this who are kind of buffered by this HR mechanism. Um, Not that HR isn't inherently bad, but it's so often just used to kind of like twist real bad problems into ways that are manageable for like the corporate structure. They're there ultimately to protect the corporate structure, right? So like if if that happens to mean uh, that like they should give in to workers' demands, then I guess they'll begrudgingly do that. But without without being made afraid of the worker, uh, they're always going to err on the side of uh, protecting the corporation at all costs. All right, so I think that does it for uh, this episode of Punching Out. Um, Feel free to check us out on iTunes, uh, which has happened recently, and our websites um, on Facebook and all different media that it's available to you. We're SoundCloud rappers now as well. We are on SoundCloud or on iTunes. That's so good. You can assure that this conversation will keep going with me here on this team. And part two, part two. Yeah, Yeah. part two coming up. All right. Someday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.